We're going to be in Genesis this morning. So just open up to page one. We're going to be in Genesis chapter one. So excited to be able to share with you guys this morning. I've heard so much about Calvary Wallingford for a while. And so to be able to spend this morning with you guys is, is just a joy to my heart, to my family's heart. And so thank you guys for welcoming us in and just your, your hospitality and your love. And it's been, uh, been great to be here this morning with you guys and being able to worship with you guys. And, uh, and that's what our, our topic is this morning. Uh, Mike was... was uh, asked me a, a, a couple months ago as we were talking about this to speak on worship, and so I'm really, really excited to be able to share with you guys um, a message that um, I've, I've entitled Made for Worship, and uh, I was thinking about um, what, uh, what I would preach on this morning, and uh, um, to be honest, because I've been doing worship for a number of years, I've taught on worship more than any other topic in the Bible, and uh, so that is like the, um, the go-to thing for especially in my church. It is like, hey, let's have Tony speak on worship, and uh, so I've sp- spoken about worship a lot, um, but I just felt like, you know what, Lord, I really want you to give me something that is just fresh this morning, and, and I believe he, get, he gave me that today, but um, but thank you guys so much again for your prayers. Uh, um, I love the Manje family. Um, they mean the world to us. And I've, I, I grew up in his um, youth group, which means I have stories. So uh, over lunch, I have a lot of stories to share about Mike and Nicole and uh, to embarrass them and to keep them on their toes. So I would love to share that with you guys. Uh, I remember um, sharing with Mike being so excited when I was uh, just getting out of youth group. I graduated high school and went to Bible college, met the girl of my dreams. And I remember bringing her to come meet my family and to come meet my youth pastor. And I was so excited for him to just be able to encourage her and to encourage us and to, you know, just kind of like spiritually um, unite us together in some kind of like just, I don't know, just wisdom and all of this stuff and his blessing as well. I just wanted this blessing over us. And I remember introducing Nikki to him. It was my girlfriend at the time. And he, the first thing he said to her was, uh, Nikki, you know, you don't have to marry him, right? He's like, you can like run now and you don't have to go through with this. And I was like, what is happening right now? Like, this is not what I was thinking was going to happen. And so he's like, make sure you really, really know. And I was like, Mike, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, with all that to say, God did speak to her heart. And we've been married now for 13 years, and, uh, which is awesome. Mike was my best man in my wedding, so even though he uh, threw me that curveball, I still wanted to, to him to be a part of that because he's special to me. So you guys have an amazing pastor, don't you? You guys are all so blessed to have such an amazing pastor, to have such an amazing family leading this church. And uh, so you guys are, are truly, truly blessed with that. So uh, I moved to Las Vegas 15 years ago, been on staff at Calvary Chapel Las Vegas for that. And, um, uh, and you guys got to meet my little three-year-old. She is our miracle. And um, her name is Ella James. And uh, you probably heard her during worship, speaking in tongues and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, but uh, really blessed that, that we're here this morning. So Genesis chapter one, I'm going to read this this morning. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Have you ever thought about the, just the opening phrase of, of Scripture? God could have opened up this letter to us, this Scripture to us. He could have started it in any way. He could have started it in any type of way, but he started it like this. And I've always thought it's, it's been so interesting as, as you read it. We kind of skim over it now because we've heard it so many times. We've, we've talked about it so many times. We've heard about it so many times. If you've been a Christian for a number of years, you've heard this phrase. You probably have it printed somewhere or have seen it printed somewhere. It's something that we've heard a lot. But the Bible could have opened up with anything. Could have said, in the beginning, God thought about. In the beginning, God ate something in the beginning God looked around in the there's so many different things that could have taught could have started with like a conversation in the trinity that would have been kind of cool to like hear the father son and the holy spirit like speaking and being in relationship together but how it starts is in the beginning God created this is the first thing we get to hear about the Lord is that he is a creator how amazing is that in the beginning God created God chose to start something, start with something that he does so well, creating. How many creatives do we have in here today? My creatives. If you don't think you're a creative, I'm going to make you creative by the end of today. So buckle up. We're going to all be creatives walking out of here today. God is a creating God. He is the ultimate creative. He is the creator of the heavens and of the earth and of each and every one of us. The book could have started in so many different ways, but God chose to start with one of his amazing attributes. He is a creator. He is the creator. And the Bible opens up with this blank canvas. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. It opens up with this blank canvas. Don't quite know how it got there, but it's not even really important in this part for us right now. It is just this blank canvas. And the creator, the artist, begins to paint over the next couple of chapters. He begins to paint his piece on an empty canvas. A canvas, excuse me. He creates light, day, night, plants, animals, and in verse 26, he creates something really, really special. Verse 26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So in verse 26, we see as the artist is painting through all of these different amazing things, he creates something really, really special. He creates you and he creates me. He creates a a, a creation that is made in his own image, separate, different, set apart from every other one of his creations. Why is this so important? Why do I point this out today? Well, because every, if you are a creative in here, you know this, that every creative has intention in their creations. 
Every creative has a, has a purpose. When they're creating something, there's a purpose. Even, rarely things are like created at random, and even if it is, it's still with intention. There's still an intentionality even in the randomness of creation and in creativity. But art always has a purpose behind it. So what was the purpose of our artist? What was the purpose that our artist had in mind? He created us for communion. He created us for communion out of the extension of his great love already existing within the Trinity. God's love poured out to his creation for communion and relationship with him out of this extension of the, the love that existed forever and it, it has existed for all eternity and will continue to exist, this amazing love that happens within the Trinity, there's an outpouring of that love into his creation. He says, I want you to experience the same thing. I want you to experience what I experience, what the Trinity experience, experiences. I want you to experience this amazing community and relationship. But there's something different about all, all of the different things that he created. There's something different about us. Out of all of God's creation, he created us very different. We're created in his image, male and female. God created each of us in his image, which means we are inherently and instinctively, we have unique value over the rest of creation. Over everything else, he's looking at us and he said, I want to make you in my image could have made, there's amazing, if you like just go to the zoo down the street, we just realized the zoo is right there. You go to that, there's a lot of things and a lot of creatures there that you probably could think, man, it'd be awesome if God made them do this or all, you know, all these different things. But for some reason, God chose to, to uniquely make us. It also means that we have purpose. As his image bearers, we have purpose over everything else he has created. There was a specific intention. God wanted us to be like him and experience the beautiful relationship he experiences within the Trinity. He wanted us to experience this love relationship with him. And not only that, verse 28 says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Not only does God say, you have a purpose and I want you to experience it personally, but he calls us to create more communities, more of these types of communities to experience th this relationship with him. He wants us to create communities, my professor puts it, communities of blessable, image-bearing covenant partners. Blessable, blessable image-bearing covenant partners. He wants us to create more communities of his image bearers to experience the same thing, communion with him. And he calls his image bearers to rule over the rest of his creation and take care of it. And Genesis chapter two talks more about this and explains more in detail the difference in our creation and purpose. And so let's read some of that together. Genesis chapter two, verse seven, just flip over to the next chapter. Verse seven says, then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life 
and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, we get a little bit more of a glimpse of how we are created. It's not, he did not just use words to create us. As, he, as you go through in Genesis chapter one, he's just using his words and he's let there be light, let day and night separate. He's using all of it, let there be living creatures and plants and, and all of these different things he's creating just with his words. But verse seven tells us something different in our creation. He did something a bit different. He breathed his breath of life into Adam. He breathed into Adam his breath of life. God breathed his breath into our lungs, the breath of life. We stand out amongst his creation, made in his image with his breath living within us. His breath within us. Why his breath? Have you thought of that? Why out of all of his creation did he breathe his breath of life into us? Why didn't he just give us breath in our lungs as he did to the other living creatures in the world? God has a capability to do that as well. I believe he did that because of intimacy. In an act of intimacy, God breathed his breath into our lungs, giving us breath of life. There's an intimate relation that God, intimate relationship that God has with his creation, with his image bearers. It's not just by word. It's not just by saying, you know, breath into your lungs or life I give you or anything like that. He had this moment of intimacy with man and with woman. And you may be thinking, why out of all of the different things, again, we're talking about worship, why would you share this? Why out of all of these things that we could have talked about with worship, why are we talking about how God created us? I think that the message is more than just what worship is and why worship is so important, but it is literally that God created us, not only for communion, but for worship. He gave us breath in our lungs to worship. This is why we are created, is to worship. Genesis chapter two, verse 15, puts it like this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Really interesting here. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. You can circle those words if you want or just write them down in your notes. To work it and to keep it. He created us, breathed life into us, and then placed us in the garden to work it and to keep it, to give us purpose in the garden. If you guys are familiar with Bible Project at all, some of you guys are familiar with Bible Project. Bible Project is, is amazing. It's a free tool for you guys to use. Great videos and great insight into the Word of God and beautiful videos that, that they put. But there's this really, really amazing video from Bible Project that talks about being royal priests in the garden. We're Adam and Eve, royal priests in the garden. And um, uh, I encourage you guys to take a look at it tonight. It's like maybe seven or eight minutes long. But it is a really amazing representation of what... Um, it, 
it, the Bible project just kind of goes into what the tabernacle and what temple was uh, looked like and just, um, you know, what priest living was uh, looked like and just kind of a, uh, uh, a little glimpse into like tabernacle life and temple living. And as they were talking about it, they, they, they bring up a really interesting point is that the tabernacle was really an example or a picture of what the Garden of Eden was. And as the, the temple had the outside courts, and as you get closer and closer into the center, you get closer and closer to the presence of God. And that's what God created the, the Garden of Eden to be like. As you get closer and closer to the center of this garden, the, the, the presence of God lies there. The presence of God is there. It's a really, really beautiful picture that the presence, the holy of holies, dwells within the middle of the garden. So God puts man, he puts woman there in the center in his presence to experience him, but to work it and to tend it and to keep it. He breathes in our lungs for communion with him in his presence, but he does something else as well. He does something else as well. The words tend it, the word tend is a really interesting Hebrew word. I encourage you guys to, to circle that again or to highlight it. It's a multifaceted word that is used in a lot of different places elsewhere in scripture. I'm gonna read a couple of other places that this word is used. This is, this is just a couple other places here. Exodus chapter four, verse 31. You guys can turn there if you want. Exodus chapter four, verse 31. There's about, I think, 189 different references of this word throughout the Old Testament, but here's one for you. Exodus four, verse 31. Turn there real quick. I want, you, I want to see if you guys can point out where this word is used here. Exodus 4, verse 31 says, And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Where do you think that word tend is translated here in verse 31? What was that? Not visited. Worshipped. Isn't that interesting? Same word translated a little bit differently here in Exodus 4, verse 31, that the people, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Same Hebrew word that is used there. Another place, it's Psalm 95, verse 6. You guys can jot this down. Psalm 95, verse 6. It says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. This is kind of a picture of what this, this word means. There is a beautiful, like, uh, an active, like, bowing down, kneeling before, and worshiping the Lord, our God, our maker. It is so interesting that this is the, the calling that God puts in Adam and Eve as they are created, breath is in their lungs, and now they are placed into the garden, into the holy of holies, into the center of the presence of God to tend the garden, to worship, to worship the Lord, the God, our maker. And for this word as well, if you look through kind of the Old Testament, this word is used, in, it's like temple language. It's the same word that priests, as they take care of the temple and as they work in the temple, it's the same word that is used for temple living for priests and as they are tending and working and keeping the temple of God. It is the same exact word. It's so beautiful. God has created us to have communion with him and he breathed his breath into our lungs for a purpose, to worship to be in his presence in communion and in worship. He placed in us his, he placed before us his presence for communion 
and for worship. So this morning, what is worship? Well, we know, I know you guys know this, but it's more than just music. If we're created to do this, it is way more than just music and just singing in song. It is what God created us for. We have simplified it in a kind of American culture. We have now like a worship genre of music. We've simplified it to just worship or just a part of a service, but it is so much more than that. It's a beautiful act as God painted us on his camp canvas, he created us to continue to paint. He created us to continue to create. He created all of these instruments in these rooms to in this room to play in his giant symphony. And so what instrument are you? What is worship? Worship is this response of love. As his created beings, as his image bearer bearers, we are now created to create. We are now created to paint. We are now created to give praise, to give worship, to to be able to, in a loving response, give back to God in his presence. He created us all as these different instruments. I love that because I am a musician. There's all these different instruments in a symphony, but as they all, you can hear them all individually, but then there's something that happens when they're all together. When they all gather together and they play the symphonic, uh, you know, song, it is so beautiful. If you've ever been to a symphony, just to hear the one sound that comes from all of these instruments playing together in unison. And that's what God's created us to do. There's all of these instruments with different talents, different strings, different sounds, different noises. And we are all gathering together to give back and to worship him in this giant symphony of worship. What instrument are you? God created us for communion and to worship, but something happened in that communion. As we read in Genesis chapter three, you guys know the story and I don't wanna spend long, I don't wanna spend any time there because it's a terrible part of our story, is that in Genesis chapter three, sin entered into the world. Sin entered into the world and there was this break that man has now in communion with God. And this break, this, this, it, what sin did is it severed that communion that God created us for. It severed this communion. It severed the presence of God being able to come close. And the rest of the Old Testament are the people of God trying to get back into the garden trying to get back into the Holy of Holies. And there's all of these different things, the atonement and all of these different sacrifices that that people are trying to do to cleanse themselves, to be able to get into the center of the garden again, to be able to get into presence with God again for communion and for worship. But Jesus Christ came to be our atonement He came, he gave himself up for our redemption. So now we have the ability to be born again, to have his breath going into our lungs again and to to be able to spend time in his presence and to worship again. Ephesians, if you guys wanna go over to Ephesians chapter two this morning. Ephesians chapter two, this is where we're gonna land today. Our sins separated us from the presence of God, but God, again in his great love, redeemed his creation so that we can commune again with him. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. 
It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful scripture this morning that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Jesus, our atonement, he gave himself up for our redemption. We have the ability now to be born again. We were born once. He breathed his breath of life into us. We have communion with him. Sin severed that. It separated us from the presence of God. And Jesus became that ultimate atonement for us, that ultimate sacrifice for us. As as the people of God in the Old Testament were trying to get back into his presence, they were doing these, these sacrifices and trying to make up atonement for them to be in his presence. But Jesus became that final atonement for us, that final sacrifice with, uh, for us so that all we need to do is by grace through faith, not of our own works. It's a gift now that God gives to us. And now we are born again. We are born again with his breath in our lungs once again. And we are now, that sin had severed us and separated us from communion. God has now said, no, I'm drawing you back into my presence. Jesus' atonement was enough to draw us back into the Holy of Holies, back into the center of the garden and said, I have relationship, I have communion again with my creation. Why? Because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I love this part uh, of... of, um, of this, this, this scripture this morning. We are his workmanship. The Greek word for that is poema, which you guys know we get the word poem. We are his poem. We are his created work. We are his beautiful symphony, his poem, his art piece. Again, that he's painted on this canvas and he, he created this art piece to continue to worship and create for him. And that's what these good works are. You know, a lot of people, they talk about how Christianity, they, they'll say it's not, not about good works. It's nothing, nothing about about good works. And that's what it says here. It's not of our works, lest any man should boast. But then the next scripture says, the next verse says, we are his workmanship created for good works. And so it's, it is for justification, for salvation has nothing to do with our good works. But once we are now saved and are born again, it has everything to do with our good works. Why? Because our good works is our act of worship to God. As we are now created, born again, and now enter into communion with God once again, now we have the ability with the breath, his breath of life in our lungs to breathe back to him, to worship him, to give a loving response to him. It's all about those good works. After we are now saved and in his presence again, we have the ability to do these things for God and say, here are my works, Lord. Here is my, uh, my opportunity to tend the garden, to work in the garden, to work in this temple that you've given me, the, the, the temple now that your spirit resides in my own body, and now that the garden is in my own heart, I get to tend it. I get to keep it. I get to do these things to worship and to enter into your throne room of grace. So what is worship? I just re- watched this, this video um, not too long ago on, on Instagram that was talking, it was a worship leader that was talking about the sound of worship. 
and, uh, and he, he was asking other worship leaders, is there a sound to worship? What is the sound of worship? Because right now, um, in, again, American kind of Christian culture, there is a specific sound. If you're looking for like a worship song, there is, I can tell you as being a part of worship for the last 15 years in, in a, um, in, as, a, as a job in, in vocational ministry, I can tell you that there is a sound of worship music as far as like genre. I could tell you what kind of guitar that you're supposed to get. I could tell you what kind of pedal board you're supposed to get. You can literally buy the sounds online of specific songs. We have tracks and clicks and cues and all of these different things. A metronome that we play to, um, I've played to it. There, there is like all of these tracks that build up of, of, of a record and what, what the, the recording is supposed to sound like on, online and on, on uh, the radio and all of that kind of stuff. There's this sound that people are pursuing. And it's this, this sound of, of a genre of music, but worship is more than just that sound. What is the sound of worship? Again, worship is a love response to what God has done for us and what he has spoken to us. That means our life can be that love response. Our life can be that love response. Our creativity and our art can be done as a love response to God. Our jobs can even become acts of worship, doing these good works of tending and keeping the garden. Whatever season of life you're in, if you're a parent, the way that you raise your kids can be done as an act of worship. Our giving can be done as an act of worship, giving God what he has given to us. Our music, our singing is an act of worship. We're breathing the breath of life from our loves and breathing it back to him in song, all of these, you have a unique sound. You are a unique poem that God has designed and God has created. The sound of worship is what your loving response back to God is. It's not a specific genre. It's not a style. It's not, you know, it's specific words and a specific art form or all of these kind of things. It is the good works that God has created. We are his workmanship created for these good works. The sound that is rising from this temple, this temple now that we are the temple of the living God as the Holy Spirit. Again, that garden, that holy of holies, the center of, of his presence now dwells within your heart. The spirit of the living God not only is breathing his breath into our lungs, he lives within the temple of the Holy Spirit, our own bodies. We are now the temple of God and the sound of worship rises from this temple. The sound of worship are the things that we get to, in a loving response to God, get to give back to him. Nothing even that we have is our, our own anyway. We're giving back what he's already given to us. The, even the breath that we're singing with is just the breath that he's given to us. The money that we have to give back to him in, in tithes and offerings, this is something that he's given to us, but now we get to give back to him. The, art, the artwork that you guys do, if you're a painter or a writer or you know, a dancer or whatever it is, you now get to do this as God, I want to give back as a loving response to you. The sound of worship is what is coming out of your own temple, coming out of your own song, your own poem. I encourage you guys, this is what God has created us to do. So even if you don't think you're a creative, God has created you to continue to create. 
God has created you, as my wife was talking about. Each one of us has a spiritual gift. Each one of us, God has given a gift to edify the body of Christ and to give back to, to God in worship. And we now that, that is what this gathering is all about, is being able to utilize our spiritual gifts with one another, to be able to share a word of wisdom with, to one another, to be able to share a word of encouragement to one another, whatever that gift is that God has given to you, that is a, a part of the song that we get to sing to God, the, the song, the sound that is rising from our temples. So does worship have a sound? Yes, it's the sound of your offering. It's the sound of your offering to him. God has created you to worship. It is a sound of your song. It is his poem in you. It's his song through you. And so as you gather for worship, you, you can gather with a different thought in mind. It's not just going, oh man, I, we just have to sing these songs or I just have to, man, you get to, to, to begin to like think about, this is not the temple <laughs> right here. The temple is right here. So God, I want this song to rise to you. I want this sound to rise to you. That's why when we exit these, these doors uh, later on this afternoon and when we go throughout our week, we can say, God, the worship doesn't stop. The worship doesn't have to end. The incense doesn't have to stop burning. I want to continue to live out this song to you, this poem to you. I wanna be your workmanship created to do these good works, to tend the garden, to keep it, and to worship and commune with you. Lord, thank you so much for this time. God, we thank you for your word this morning and just thank you, God, that we have just the ability, Lord, today to, to take a moment, God, there was a moment at the beginning of time, Lord. There was a moment at the beginning of this book that you, you had a moment of intimacy with your creation. You had this moment of intimacy with your, your people and you breathed your breath of life into them. Lord, we thank you that you've given us all that same type of moment, Lord, as we've been born again. God, there was a moment, I know each and every one of us could probably think of the day that you, you came to us, Lord. You had this moment of intimacy with us and you breathed your breath back into our lungs. Being born again to have communion with you, to worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. So Father, we ask, God, that you would stir in our own hearts, Lord, the desire to worship. The desire, Lord, to raise up our sounds of worship to you from these temples that you've given to us, Lord. As you've filled our temples, Lord, with your presence, God, we want incense, we want songs, we want uh, poems, we want, God, just this sound of worship that is rising from within our own hearts, God, as a loving response to you. Lord, teach us to worship. Teach us how to worship, Lord. Teach us about those moments, God, that we can have that intimacy with you, Lord, that love relationship with you, God, to invite, as we were just singing about uh, moments ago, Lord, to invite your presence, Lord, into those, those dark areas of our lives, those chaotic times in our lives, Lord, in the middle of the night when nobody else is there, Lord, to be able to invite your presence with us in that moment, and to worship you, God, with what you've given to us, God. Father, we, this morning, we just want to give back to you in worship. Lord, whatever that sound is, whatever that song is, Lord, receive it this morning, God, and teach us to worship. In Jesus' name.
Let's all stand together. We're going to take communion, and Tony's going to lead us into another, another song. And let's just um, close our eyes for a bit. The, the picture that Tony brought out of Genesis, of God so close and so face-to-face and breathing, it is an intimate thing. Uh, we get that even in our interaction with each other, to be close into that someone's personal space to where your breath is on them. It's a special relationship to invite somebody into that. It shows God's intent. And then not only that, that his spirit now lives in us. Dallas Willard has this great line that I was thinking of when Tony was speaking. He says, um, we need an ongoing spiritual presence that is at the same time a psychological reality. And that's just a wonderful way of saying an awareness of God's ongoing presence in our lives. An awareness that he's with us now and at work and work is worship when it's done in that way when it's done as unto the Lord worship is not just for like Tony was saying a Sunday morning event but it is for a life well lived it is the good life poured out all around us as an act and an offering to God and I want to bring something out as we go to communion just think about this as your eyes are closed That on the cross, Jesus poured out his life for us. In other words, what we're about to partake of in communion, if you take a moment to think about it and meditate on it, you cannot worship him without this. You cannot pour your life out for him until you realize that he literally poured his life out for you. Think about this. In Jesus, every act of energy, every expenditure of purpose and thought was done as an act of worship to his Father and an act of service to you and to me. From the moment he woke up to the moment he laid his head down, every intent, was an act of giving to his father and what pleased his father was an act of redemptive service to you. On the cross, Jesus was worshiping his father and what brought his father worship and service was redeeming you. I don't think we can worship until we realize that that's what God did for us.